know how to receive those wonderful gifts of cash. We know how to effectively write a successful grant proposal. We also know how to intersect with businesses. Now the donor wants to give us some land or some property or some tangible asset. What do we do about that? Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the fundraising school. And I'm joined today by Phil Purcell, our talented colleague who is known nationally for his work on planned giving as well as fundraising for non-cash assets. And Phil, we often get this question, what about real estate? The donor wants to give me a house, wants to give me some land, wants to give me some other tangible item. What are some of the rules of the road that fundraisers need to be aware of? Well, I think the first rule is to avoid the automatic no, that we cannot do it at all. Uh, I encounter with a lot of smaller organizations a real reticent to even get in a conversation about real estate gifts. And uh, what I instead encourage is more of a case-by-case -case analysis. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, it's going to take some time. Uh, at the end of the day, most likely it's going to require a decision by your board of directors. Um, but stop and think a minute. You know, as you think about what you own, what your neighbor owns, your family owns, and then even larger landowners like farmers, a significant percentage of individual wealth is in real estate, be it a home, a second home, a cottage, a vacation home, commercial real estate, farm real estate, uh, investment real estate of all types. Uh, so a lot of wealth in this country. And if we want to be proactive and maximize philanthropy in a plan-giving sort of way, being open to conversations about real estate is very important. You talked about the automatic no. What also about the automatic yes, that we don't rush into this? And I'll just give two quick examples from my own fundraising career. One time, a wonderful donor, well-meaning, was going to donate an old house to us. And we found out later, with all the termites included, right. uh, and then we were, uh, another nonprofit I was engaged with, we were going to receive a gift from land. Again, a very well-intended donor. But we found out there was dirty dirt, meaning the dirt had to be remediated. We worked through that eventually. But if we had just rushed to yes, we wouldn't have known those things. So we also have to be careful not to rush to yes. Absolutely. And um, so for this reason, it's always wise to have board-approved gift acceptance mm. policies and procedures. And I'm not talking about an encyclopedia of legal jargon, hmm. just some very simple checklist kinds of things that uh, the organization is expected to go through as a matter of due diligence. And these kinds of checklists are, are easy to put together. There are templates in our, in our curricula at the fundraising school. And, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, the job is to uh, make sure it's clean, it's marketable, um, there are not any problems if there are structures or other liabilities. And the end result can be, assuming you can take care of all that, and these are easy steps to get through, they take time though, uh, you could end up with a very valuable uh, piece of property. And if you're dealing with property, property is governed by local governments and their zoning ordinances. And we had a story here in Indiana not too long ago that a youth serving organization was partnering with business and a local government to create a new facility and then they announced it publicly, made a big announcement, a big splash. And then they went to the zoning board who heard remonstrators from local citizens. And the zoning board chose not to change the zoning. And now everybody's kind of embarrassed and we have to start all over again. We have to think about zoning when we accept property. You sure do. Uh, zoning, unpaid property taxes, right. uh, any other liens. You want to make sure your title is good. So any liens, encumbrances, easements, you've got to be privy to. So that means usually partnering with a qualified real estate lawyer who can help look at the title and see if there are any problems that way. Um, and partnering, what I, what I often suggest with real estate, you know, with real estate gifts, 
either they're going to be maybe a, a real estate you're going to keep and own or you're going to sell. Mm -hmm. So if it's in either case, a good starting point often is to have the best uh, real estate appraiser or marketing professional in the area give you an, a, a marketing analysis. It doesn't have to be a paid-for, full-blown appraisal, mm -hmm. but, a, but a bead on, uh, uh, is there a market for this and what can, price can I get? And these uh, marketing professionals, well, they want your business, so they're going to do a good job for you, and they'll do it for free. So it's kind of a good starting point to help you and your board of directors assess, well, what kind of value are we talking about? Uh, and what kind of market is there for this? If I'm going to receive property that I'm going to sell, I better make sure I can sell it. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what about in our rural communities, Phil? As you mentioned, for all households, regardless of geography, uh, so many people have a significant percentage of their wealth in their property. But that might even be more true amongst our, our wonderful farmers, right? Mm -hmm. It's in their land, it's in their implements, in their crop. Are you seeing that more and more in rural communities where a farmer might even say, how would you like 500 bushel of corn? Right. What is a fundraiser to do in that regard? We have seen a, a huge increase in this. Um, it's often said that farmers are land rich and cash poor. Right. Uh, but that doesn't mean they're not uh, oriented to help their community. Mm -hmm. They also mm -hmm. tend to be very community minded. Right. They want to help charities in their community. and. Um, so, the answer can be in their, their crops or their inventory. And the way this works is they donate by deed of transfer, deed of title, X bushels of whatever crop it is to the legal organization, the charity. And then charity sells the crops and, and gets the cash. So the farmer escapes uh, income tax liability, uh, income that they would have had if they sold it themselves. And for some farmers, giving up a little bit of income is acceptable. Uh, typically, a gift of grain or inventory will not generate much, if any, charitable deduction. Hmm. Uh, but it does provide an asset that the farmers have, uh, ready and able to go. And, and perhaps uh, giving up a little income is fine with them to leave a legacy for their organization. And, and you talk about community tie-in. We know that home ownership, for example, is a huge predictor of philanthropic activity. Well, my goodness, if that farm has been in the family for four or five generations, mm -hmm. that is deep community relationship. It sure is. Uh, I've worked with farmers on even gifts of grain or their um, equipment, uh, tractors when they retire. And yeah. uh, even techniques like charitable remainder trusts that they use to provide an extra source of retirement income. So again, not much of a tax deduction, uh, but they've, they've set up an extra retirement plan to fund their retirement from their inventory and their assets. Phil, what about land, whether it's out in a rural community or even in the city? And my example was an urban example, by the way, of that donated land. Mm -hmm. What do we need to be watching for in terms of, again, the environmental concerns, uh, access to water, things of that nature that fundraisers need to be aware of? Right. Well, quite often with a simple gift of a home, you might not have an environmental, full-blown, a phase one environmental review. On the other hand, you know, sometimes these subdivisions might be built on an old mine right. or redeveloped Brownsfields areas. You never know. So even with residential property, you might do it. So the phase one environmental assessment, uh, the cost of which can range from a thousand or more, and the, uh, a qualified engineer will come on the property, they'll examine it, they'll look at the records, and they'll write a report as to any potential liability. It's important because if your organization is in the chain of title, even for a brief moment in time, you will be 
jointly and severally liable for any cleanup of that land. So you're on the hook, even if you own it for a day. And you might be the deepest pocket in that chain of title. So you've got to make sure it's clean before you say yes. And so we're just giving fundraisers an idea of what questions to ask, what type of expertise to bring in. You might have this on your board. There might be uh, firms in the community that you can hire. Maybe they'll even pro bono some of this work for you. But we can also ask the donor to cover this expense. You sure can. Uh, there are two ways to do that. One is asking for an upfront gift of cash right. that they get a tax deduction for and to pay these costs. Or uh, the donor understands by agreement with you that when you receive the property, assuming it's all clean, you get it sold, that you're going to reimburse the organization for any of these expenses from the sale proceeds. So then the net is what yeah. available for program or service. Phil, you've given us a lot of great information today about gifts of real estate. And you started by saying a lot of groups, they start at that uh, automatic no. Right. How would you summarize that this can be a net positive despite the steps we need to take? And it can be a little more complicated than just receiving a check. Why is this a net positive for a lot of nonprofits? Why is it a positive? Yeah, why is real estate a good idea if a donor is bringing that to my attention? Yes, well, it's, it's, it represents an asset that might be fairly liquid if there's a good market for it and represent a nice amount of revenue for your organization with sometimes a fairly minimum amount of due diligence depending upon the size and complexity. Um, and even if it doesn't work out, it's a relationship builder with the donor. That is, uh, you're now working with someone intimately on a, on a big gift. And even if it doesn't work out, if they are, uh, feel good about the experience, uh, even if it ends up with a no, then it might end up with bigger cash gifts, a deeper relationship with someone you've, you've spent some time with. So don't have the automatic no when it comes to a real estate offer. Don't have an automatic yes. Just ask these questions. You know, our founder, Dr. Henry Rosso, said we need to fundraise with confidence. That includes when the gift could be a gift of land or some sort of property that we can confidently talk to the potential donor about this. We can ask our questions. We can have our concerns. We, we can get an inspection, just like when we're buying a house. We can do that when we're uh, being offered the house as a gift. All these different steps you can take with due diligence and when done properly can be a net positive in the ways that Phil explained for your nonprofit organization. There's more information about the fundraising school on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. You'll learn about our courses, our webinars, our podcasts, all the ways including our custom training that we can help you raise more resources for your good work to make the world a better place. I'm Bill Stajakevich and now you are now more up to date on this first day from the fundraising school. Mm -hmm.